Good morning. Our scripture today is from John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16a. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you know, not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. This mic working? Now it is. Wow, it's good to be in church. Let me tell you, if you want to experience joy, then worship Jesus while holding your four-year-old granddaughter's hand. (laughs) Whew, that is a joy. Matt, thank you for your prayer. Thank you for um, a well-informed prayer this morning. Uh, I enjoy when I get to church and... Somebody prays a prayer, and in that prayer, he prays several scriptures that I have in my message. And we had no two words about this. And I just know that God is talking to his people on this morning. So thank you, Matt. Uh, Note takers, beware. There are no main points, (laughs) you're in a minefield. This is going to be one long thing. 
I tried, but this text will not fit in three points. And so I'm not preaching it in three points. We're back in the Gospel of John this morning, and we are in the middle of this section called the Passion of Christ or the Suffering of Christ. Now, John can hardly be preached separate from Isaiah 53, a section that we all know is called the Suffering Servant. And John 19 is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 53 the suffering of Jesus. And so I want to read to us as we start a couple of verses from Isaiah 53, and you'll see I refer to some of these in my message also. Verse 3, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. In the Gospel of John, we see the passion of Jesus started in chapter 18, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested And he was bound, and then he was taken for interrogation, first to Annas, then to Caiaphas, who was the high priest of the time, and ultimately to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. The Jews needed, wanted Jesus killed, but their own laws prohibited them from doing so. So they needed to get him in front of a Roman, Pilate, who could sentence him to death so that they could kill him. They could not do it on their own. Yet we saw in chapter 18 and verse 38, after Pontius Pilate spoke to Jesus, he came out in verse 38 and he said, I find no guilt in him. And so then it is surprising that after he said, I find no guilt in him, that our passage this morning opens with these gut-wrenching words. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And we just sang this last song. We sang, judged by sinful men, by Pilate, torn and beaten then by the soldiers. This was part of the passion of the Christ. My prayer is this morning that we will see from this passage that though judged by sinful men, that though torn and beaten then, that Jesus in perfect obedience to the Father willingly endured much hostility from men in order to bring us peace. Pray with me as we jump in. Oh Lord, when we come to 
passages like this morning, it just make my wheels fall off. You see what you did for us? Lord, help me as I preach to speak clearly. Help each one of us to hear you speak to us as you reveal yourself to us. Help us hear the gospel this morning, I pray, Lord. Father, I want to pray specifically also. I want to pray this morning for the families of many people in Kentucky who died this weekend in those tornadoes. Lord, will you in miraculous ways show your sovereignty over their lives? Will you in miraculous ways make your gospel known to families that this message we hear this morning, that they will hear the similar message, that they will bow their knees before you and worship you. Pray for every family member who's walking through much heartache. May they know that there is a sovereign God above all. Help us now as we hear your word. Amen. Flogging was no joke. It was a legal, yet a brutal Roman path, um, punishment. The, the usual instrument was a, a short whip with multiple strands of braided leather. And inside those strands were braided in pieces of metal balls and pieces of sharp bone. The man who was being flogged was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to a pole or a post, oftentimes a low post so that he would be in a stooping position. And then his bare back and his bare buttocks and legs were beaten over and over. The severity of the flogging was in many ways up to the soldiers who beat the man. This beating was intended to weaken the man to a state just short of collapse and death. As the soldiers repeatedly struck the man with full force, those metal balls cut deep into his flesh. Those pieces of bone ripped open his flesh and as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying tissue. Severe, severe pain and blood loss generally set a stage for major shock. The extent of blood loss determined the length that the man would live. This was typically a punishment for someone before they went to the cross. And so they beat him so that he would not live long on that cross. Few remained conscious. Many died during flogging. If you want to wonder how severe Jesus was flogged, Isaiah 52, verse 14. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that 
of the children of mankind. And the ESV study Bible notes says, in his passion, Jesus was beaten into a shockingly inhumane mass of wounded flesh. Mel Gibson made the movie The Passion of the Christ in 2004, and he was widely criticized for its graphic depiction of the brutal violence against Jesus. Many said it was the most violent movie they ever saw, and they regretted seeing it or taking their children to see it. Others said that they should have, he should have toned it down a little bit to make it more palatable for the viewers, showing less violence. Now, I will not comment on the merits of that movie, but let one thing be clear. The passion of Christ, whether in a movie or when we read it or when we preach it, should not and must not be made more palatable just so that we can feel better and not want to see the violence against our God. Jesus' flogging was every bit as violent as you can imagine in your mind. And so it begs the question, why, why did Jesus have to suffer such an exceptional violence against him? And the answer, friend, is because of us. Because of us, because of your sin and my sin, and because of the righteous judgment of God that demanded a penalty for our sins. Jesus was suffering here, And ultimately died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin. Listen again to Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Can you hear the substitution language? All of this was done to him because of us. We should have been the recipients, but we were not because of him. Jesus' suffering was to pay the penalty and to establish peace for us with God. Because he suffered in this way, we do not have to suffer in this way. He satisfied the full force of God's righteous wrath on our behalf. And now what remains for us to be reconciled with God is no more punishment. But it is faith. Faith in the complete and perfect work that Jesus did for us. And it is repentance. Repentance of our sin. Turning away from living for ourselves and our pleasures and our desires. And living for him and his desires and his pleasures. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message, church. And so the next time you read or you hear these words, maybe during communion, his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you, know that this includes the excruciating torture that Jesus endured while he was being flogged. Following the severe flogging, we see in verses 2 to 3 of our passage 
that the soldiers started mocking Jesus. So they made that thorny crown and they pressed it on his head, thorns pressing into his scalp. And they took a purple robe and they hung it on his broken back. And they hailed him, hail king of the Jews, mocking him. And although that crown and that robe would have inflicted more pain on Jesus, it really was done not for pain, but to mock him and to humiliate him. They were saying, come on, king, do something, you king of the Jews. You are nothing. We control you. You're an object of our laughter and our pleasure. You're just a man. And they scorned him. But friends, what these Roman soldiers did not know is what they mocked him for was a picture of who he really is. What they failed to see that was, was that he really is a king. And he's not just any king. He's the king of kings. The man they just flogged, this man who they think they can ridicule and mock, he is the Alpha and the Omega. The one who existed from eternity past and will exist into eternity future. He's the one by whom and for whom everything in heaven and on earth was created, even these sinful men. He's the one in whom the fullness of deity dwelt bodily. He's the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and wealth and wisdom and might and blessing forever. He's the one before every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. He is the one with whom, with, without whom those men would not be able to take their next breath or the strength to hold that whip because he upholds the universe by the power of his word. If they only knew that, if they only, to use the words of Hebrews 12 verse 3, considered him, meaning to reflect on him, to contemplate who is this Jesus, to ponder on him and to study him. If they only knew that the man whom they were beating was the word made flesh, the savior of the world, the son of God, oh, they should have fallen on their knees and on their faces and worshiped in repentance before him. But just like Pilate who did not consider Jesus These soldiers did not consider Jesus, not knowing who he is. So friends, I ask you this morning, do you consider Jesus in your life? Are you reflecting regularly on who Jesus is? Are you contemplating the truth of who Jesus is? Are you pondering the gospel of Jesus? Are you studying the word to find out who he really is? Are you considering Jesus and as a result live in awe of him and worship him in obedience? We ought to daily consider Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. 
Why? So that we do not miss who he is like these soldiers. And so that we can worship him because he is worthy of all our worship. Oh, may we be bold and consistent and unfailing in considering Jesus our Savior. And may he be our joy above all joys. May we not miss him like these soldiers missed who he was. And so after Jesus was flogged and mocked, Pilate went out to the Jewish leaders. And for a second time in this passage, verse 5, he said to them, I find no guilt in him. And then he said something that most certainly he had no idea the full weight and the strength and the meaning of what he was saying. He said to them, behold the man. Now, many believe the reason why Pilate had Jesus flogged was to appease the anger of the Jews. Maybe if he had Jesus flogged, they would let him go because he said twice now already, actually three times now already, that he's innocent. So maybe if I have him flogged, it would appease them. They would say he can go. But that didn't happen. The Jews' anger was too much. They would not accept it. And while Pilate did not understand what he was saying, the deep mystery of his words were true. Jesus was indeed the man to behold. But he was not just any man. He was the God-man. He was God-made flesh. He was God the Son from eternity who left the glories of heaven to come to this earth to redeem a people for himself. He was the only perfect and obedient and sinless man to ever walk the face of the earth. This man he was presenting to them as the man was according to Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who thought, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. This man he was presenting was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But as we already saw, Pilate was ignorant of who Jesus was. He did not consider Jesus for who he truly was. And so we see that Pilate's hopes of agreement from the Jewish leaders to release Jesus was quickly crushed because as soon as he, as he brought Jesus to them, behold the man, they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. They were not satisfied with the flogging. Jesus' marred appearance did not faze them. For them, there was one penalty only that they wanted. Death by crucifixion. Their hate of Jesus blinded them. Just like the soldiers, and just like Pilate, these leaders, Jewish leaders, who knew the Old Testament well, did not behold Jesus. They failed to see him as the Christ. The shoot from the stump of Jesse from 
Isaiah 11. The child born, the son given from Isaiah 9. The coming ruler of Israel from Micah 5. They knew all this. He was right in front of them and they missed him. They did not consider him. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you considering Jesus for who he is? Maybe there are some here this morning that do not consider Jesus yet for who he really is. Maybe you think he was a good man. Maybe you think he was a prophet. Maybe he's just your friend's God or your parents' God. Maybe he's the one that you need to give you stuff or to keep your life safe and easy. Consider Jesus this morning, friend. He is the Savior of the world. The one who took my sin and your sin. The one who rules the world. And one day you and I will stand before him when he judges the living and the dead. And that day he's not going to judge your morality. He's going to judge you on one thing. On whether you accepted the free offer of salvation through the death of his son on the cross. And whether you've placed your faith in him, have repented of your sins, and are following him. Oh, may we consider Jesus truly for who he is. In verse 7 from our chapter this morning, for the third time in this passage, Pilate said to them, I find no guilt in him. But then they brought a charge that has not been brought before. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And then verse 8, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Afraid? Afraid of what? Well, Pilate found no guilt in Jesus. We've seen that several times. Yet, he had him flogged, which was a complete misuse of his authority as governor. Now he is hearing the claim that Jesus is the son of God and he became more afraid. I would too. But Matthew's gospel helped us with something else. Matthew added a little bit more detail. In Matthew 27 verse 19 we read this. While he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him in a dream. So here his wife warned him. He knew he already did injustice against Jesus. And now he claims to be the son of God. Yes, I can imagine that he is more afraid. And so you see, he take, goes back to Jesus. Um, where, are you, where are you again? Where are you from again? And then these six wonderful words. But Jesus gave him no answer. Have you ever wondered why? Why didn't Jesus give him an answer? I, I want to go like, tell him who you are, Jesus. Show him your awesome power. Consume the whole bunch of them. I want shock and awe, Jesus, right there. But he did not. Jesus gave him no answer. Why? 
Well, first off, he already told Pilate in chapter 18 that his kingdom is not from this world. So, Pilate, you're just asking that because you're afraid. You know the answer already. But here are a couple other reasons. There are many more. I can't go into all of them. Here are two reasons that are connected. Why was Jesus quiet? Out of obedience to his father and out of his deep, deep love for us. Why did Jesus come to this world? First Timothy. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Good job. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus was silent because he knew the price he had to pay that day for our sins. He knew that he was to endure the judgment by sinful men, the tearing and beating then, the mocking and the scoffing and the ridicule, and ultimately the death that he was going to die on the cross in order to atone for our sins. That's why he was quiet. He did it because he loved us. Those words is because he loved us. 1 John 3, 16 By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. Those quiet words are Jesus laying down his life for us. Jesus was silent because he loved us, church. And how? How did he love us? By being perfectly obedient to the Father who sent him in order that he would fulfill what he came for, to save sinners. His silence was a, was a submissive silence to the will of the Father. And he was not about to reason himself out of the Father's plan for him to save sinners. There's a reason. Here's one more reason. Jesus was silent because he entrusted himself to God, who was the ultimate sovereign authority over everything. And so we read in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was scoffed, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It means that Jesus submitted himself to the Father's authority. He knew the Father's love for him, and he knew that he could trust the Father's plan in him because he knew what the Father wanted was always right. And so he trusted the Father in the midst of the most excruciating difficulty and pain, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, when we see these words, when you read this in future, but Jesus gave them no answer, you ought to fall on your knees and worship Jesus because those words say, I will be quiet and I will absorb the wrath so that those who I love do not have to. I will satisfy the Father's judgment on their behalf. Though judged by sinful men, Though torn and beaten then, 
Jesus, in perfect obedience, willingly endured much hostility from men in order to bring us peace. Now, just as you think that Pilate may be catching on to who this man really is, he shows he is still oblivious as he tries to flex his muscle of authority against God. Verse 10. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus' smackdown reply. You would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Pilate, you have no authority over me. You never have, you never will, except if it is granted you. Your imperial authority is useless against God. Man has no authority over God. So why are you there, Jesus? He told us in John 10 verse 18, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. You do not have authority over me, Pilate. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. There is not anything that is going to happen to me today, Pilate, by your hand or anyone else which is not first ordained by God and authorized by God. Jesus was not a victim of Rome or these men or that system. Rather, he was obedient to the Father to whom he entrusted himself. It's easy to say yes to that about Jesus, right? Do you believe that that is true for your life? That God supremely and sovereignly rules over all of your life. That nothing happens to you that God has not first ordained and authorized and planned. That you are not a victim of the system or people, but that you can entrust yourself to your faithful fathers. Do you believe that every good and perfect gift is from above? We like to believe that. Do you also believe that every hardship and struggle and suffering is planned and purposed and ordained by your faithful God? It's actually good news. Some people don't like that. The prosperity guys don't like that. God ordaining my difficulty. Here's the choices that you have. God ordains all your suffering and he's in charge of them. Or someone else ordains your suffering and they're in charge. I'll take God in charge of my life every day. So it is good news that God purposes our difficulty, friends. The Bible is full of examples. I like Joseph's example. Remember Joseph, he was sold into slavery when he was a young man by his very jealous brothers. And he was taken to Egypt 
There, all kinds of bad things happened to him. He grew up away from his people. He was lied about. He was jailed. It did not always go well with him. Then he became a very high um, official. And when famine came, his brothers came to him. What did he say to his brothers when they stood trembling before him, knowing what they did? Did he say to them, it was all your fault. My life's messed up because of you. You did this to me. I'm a victim of your jealousy and your neglect. Nope. You're not going to find that there. He grabbed them and he held them and he sobbed tears of joy on them. And then he said these beautiful words in Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. He didn't deny that they meant evil against him. But what surpassed that is that God meant it for good. Your jealousy and your neglect, God then meant that for good. And hear what he's saying. He's not saying God turned a bad situation into a good one. God transformed somehow the bad situation into a good one. No, no, no. He's saying he meant it for good. That speaks of purpose. God planned this. He was the author of this. He ordained this to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Joseph also was not the victim of his brother's jealousy or of the system of the time. God, friend, is also the author of your life. So whether you recently lost your job or found significant water damage and mold under your house. You know who you are. (laughs) Whether you're going through severe severe marital struggles, experience chronic illness, mourn the loss of a loved one, or a myriad of other possibilities in this room, please know that these are not just bad things that are happening to you. Or have authority over you. You are not a victim of circumstances. But behind these dark clouds is a faithful father. Who has absolute rule over your life. And is meaning everything for good in your life. Does that mean you have to just suck it up? Because if God's behind this. I can just suck it up and wait for it to get over. Right? Now, I went to Wade and Grudem's book. It's a thick book, Systematic Theology. I went cover to cover. I could not find the doctrine of suck it up. <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> neither could I find the doctrine of I'm a victim. And neither could I find the doctrine of I'm going to rebel against God. Those are not options, friends. We do not have to suck it up. We do not have to complain that I'm a victim. And we do not rebel against God when these things happen to us. What do we do? Huh. We can do what Jesus did. We can entrust ourselves to a faithful father. It means to submit to his will and his ways and his timing. Sorry and his timing, while praying to him to accomplish all his purposes in my life. That's not an easy thing to do, 
but it is always the right thing to do. When you entrust your, your life to God, you will be able to say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 10, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that, here it is, friends, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Our hardships are for good for us. So in your struggles, entrust yourself to a faithful father and trust him that he will work his providential good purposes in your life every day. And if you pray that, he will answer that prayer. Pilate remained convinced about Jesus' innocence and we see he is trying to release him. Yet the Jews' resolve to have Jesus killed was fierce and they played a major political trump card to manipulate Jesus. Look with me at verse 12. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Major political power play. They are manipulating Pilate. Pilate, if you do not do what we want you to do to kill this man, Jesus, your political career is done. You're not a friend of Caesar. You'll go nowhere. It may even go worse for you. You may lose your governorship. You may even lose your life. And rather than doing what an ethical, honorable, moral, and principled judge should do, which is to rule what the evidence shows should be ruled, rather than doing that, he collapses under the pressure of the crowd and he bows to the fear of not being seen as a friend of Caesar. And he brings Jesus out to the people while he takes his place on the judgment seat. This is so wrong. The king of heaven and earth standing before the judgment seat of a sinful man. And Pilate presents Jesus. Behold your king. Remember verse 5? Behold the man. That was true. Now, behold your king. This is also true. Because Jesus is the king of kings. Now, whether he said that to mock Jesus or to irritate the Jews or to in somehow make it seem like he thinks Jesus is the king of the Jews and therefore they should release him, we don't know. But he utters stunningly true words. Behold your king. But the chief priests and the officers are unwavering in their determination. We have no king but Caesar. Now there's an entire sermon. We have no king but Caesar? You kidding me? And they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And weak and manipulated, Pilate capitulated, giving in to their demands. And at the end of our passage, we see 
he delivered him over to die on a cross. Luke 23, verse 23, ends this way. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. He listened to the crowds. I started getting really angry. I, told, I think I told somebody a couple of weeks ago when we just casually chatted. I started getting kind of angry. As I read this passage, I get very emotional as I read and I think about Jesus' flogging. And I was just getting angry. Angry at Pilate. Angry at these, the brutal soldiers. The fierceness of the Jews who just kept going. They were urgent. And church, then the Lord reminded me I and you need to be careful lest we give too much credit for the passion of Jesus to mere men. Was Jesus judged and beaten by sinful men? Yes. Did the Jewish leaders want Jesus dead with everything in them? Yes. Were they the ones who sovereignly brought this about? No. No, they were not. They were mere instruments. They were tools. They were puppets in the hand of a sovereign God who planned the suffering and the death of his own son. Isaiah 55 again, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? Because that was the Father's plan of salvation crushing Jesus to establish peace with us. Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Now look at this. To do what? To do whatever your hand God and your plan had predestined to take place. Jesus was not a victim of these people. He was under God's sovereign reign. John Piper says of this last passage, he says, the depth and scope of this divine sovereignty takes our breath away. But it is also the key to our salvation. God planned it and by the means of wicked men great good has come to the world Jesus chose to die his father ordained it he embraced it and he did that for us may we be amazed and grateful at Jesus who though he was judged by sinful men, though he was torn and beaten then, in perfect obedience to the Father, he willingly endured much hostility from men in order to bring us peace. Oh, may we be in awe of our amazing Savior. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, please.
Jesus, thank you for what we read here this morning, what we heard this morning. Thank you that you were willing, Lord, to, in submission to the Father, willingly take our punishment. Thank, that, thank you that you were substituting for us, that you were in our place, that we who were condemned to die does not have to endure punishment anymore because you did it for us. What a savior you are. What a savior you are. Lord, thank you that you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty. Help us. Help us, Lord, as we face life's difficulties to entrust ourselves to a faithful father, knowing that you will work your sovereign good plans in our lives every day. Help us not to rebel, but help us to entrust ourselves. In your mighty name, amen.